I'm AJ Bianco from Podcast PD, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows in the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to another edition of Ed News This Week. It's me, Anne here, and this week I'll share why LA Unified School District teachers and a lot of us other teachers are not happy about mandated discipline changes. And I'll also talk about what Congress has heard about mental health issues in school, will they finally listen, and how ChatGPT has a sister AI being born that's supposed to be better for students. All this and my commentary right after this. Stay tuned. summer is off to a fabulous and restful start. For our first story, I was going through recent news stories and I came across this story about LA Unified School District teachers who are not happy about the changes to discipline that have come across. This resonated with me because so many of my teacher friends are also not pleased. All of us in education, let's be honest, are aware that discipline is probably the biggest key to making sure all students can function in a classroom. You know, if students are acting up or being disrespectful, it takes time away from the lessons while the teacher has to stop and deal with whatever issue is causing the distraction. Then it's time wasted while we refocus the kids, while we're hoping that nobody pulled out their cell phone and videotaped the whole situation so that they can post it on whatever cheesy website that they use that news media outlets monitor and then blow out of proportion. You know how that goes. So Ellie... USD is a good example of how this is going in schools all over. LAUSD was the first school district in California to ban suspensions for defiance and roll out restorative justice as an alternative. Now, restorative justice, MTSS, in case you haven't heard, that's multi-tiered system of supports and PBIS, positive behavior intervention and supports. These are Fuzzy new ideas that school districts have been adopting in order to change how schools react to discipline issues. It's been well documented and nobody's denying that suspensions and other consequences that remove students from the classroom. They don't do much to change behaviors and are often used more, you know, on students of color or they contribute to the prison to school pipeline, as it's called. There was a study done by the American Institutes for Research that showed that suspending students does little to reduce their you know, future misbehavior for those that are disciplined or their peers that are watching what happens to them who, when their friends act up. These suspensions, they did not improve academic achievement for them or for the kids that were watching them. And it did not increase their you know, perception of a positive school climate. Why would it? Plus the more severe the discipline, the greater the effects were, you know, the negative effects were on a student's future academic performance and attendance and behavior. And, you know, because it has more of an effect on students of color, it's particularly important to LA Unified School District because it has a 90% minority enrollment rate. And 60% of those students 
um, that go to LAUSD are considered economically disadvantaged. So all of those things that it says that suspensions and things do negatively affect, affect most of those kids that are in there. So kids that are misbehaving in LA Unified School District just probably happen to be students of color or economically disadvantaged. But, you know, to the teachers, this research that's out that nobody's denying is true, but it does little to help with the current problems that are associated with, you know, switching to a different discipline requirement. The complaints are common whenever the school districts go and they try to start something, you know, it's a plague. Most schools do when they roll something out, right? No training. They just here, we're doing this now, everybody go. And nobody knows what they're really doing. And the same has happened here. That's what the biggest complaint is from these LA Unified School District teachers is that you want us to change discipline, but you haven't shown us how to do it correctly. So what does this new policy entail? And this is, I'm speaking mostly for California here. This new policy in schools um, means that they're not allowed to suspend for anything unless it's something that's outlined in California Education Code 48900. And this is the, these are the suspendable, these are the only things that you are supposed to be able to suspend students for. Things like conducting violent crimes, possessing drugs or weapons, stealing, harassing, hazing, acting obscenely, threatening to inflict bodily harm or destroying school property. And I suppose that even those, you know, probably have levels as to what they would be considered suspendable. Is it Stealing if a student takes a pencil off your desk, you know, I don't think so. Um, so students can no longer be suspended for what what's being called willful defiance or disruption in grades K-8. This means that you cannot remove a disruptive student from class, even if you're putting them into an on-campus supervised suspension. So if a student is being disruptive in your classroom, you can no longer send them out of your classroom for that purpose. So what are teachers supposed to do with the students who are disrupting class and, you know, standing up and when the teacher tries to discipline them, they tell you to F off or get out of my face. You know, this happens. It happened to me. What message are you sending to the rest of the class when the only thing you can do as a teacher is tell them, could you please sit down and we'll talk about this later? I, I mean, I don't know what this level of disrespect and not being able to do anything about it, how that really affects other kids. Here's what schools have to do now. They have to, and they probably did in the past, but it's even more important now because of the new law. They have to keep track of their suspension rates and they have to report them so that, you know, the school can get in trouble if there are suspension numbers are too high. But the numbers are dubious to say the least, you know, because what happens to the students who are actually sent to the office? There are some who get sent home, but they may not get recorded as being suspended. So it doesn't go into the school's record as having suspensions. I saw this happen at our school that I taught at. And it kind of just makes you feel when you start hearing numbers, these ridiculous numbers about how suspension rates have dropped these enormous amounts, you know, from 60% to 0.5%, these crazy numbers I've been reading, it just kind of feels like the admin is, you know, quote unquote, cooking the books to make it seem like things are actually going in the right direction or under control when they actually aren't. Now, 
to this point, some schools are calling the police now to handle these disruptions. But, you know, the police can't do anything because willful defense is not a crime. You know, and if you want to know if this type of policy is making things better, go sit in the classrooms or go ask your teacher friends what they think. Because I guarantee you, no one else is asking for teachers' opinions about this. Teachers, I know, feel that the administration is now pushing this burden of discipline onto them. It's just one more thing that teachers have to do besides helping kids with their social emotional learning or making sure that they're meeting the curriculum needs or getting students ready for testing and all the other things that are on a teacher's plate. And with little or no training to do these new discipline um, policies and to, you know, do restorative circles or do the kinds of things that help supposedly make discipline better. It's no wonder that teachers are not feeling all warm and fuzzy towards these new ways of handling discipline. In Los Angeles, for example, there has been a high amount of staff turnover for these people who are trained. You know, some get let go when money runs out. You know, they for that, for example, that COVID funding that a lot of peop, uh, a lot of districts use to put um, these practices in place. And in one case, for example, 10 of the 11 teachers at this one school site that were trained in the restorative justice task force left campus. So now there's one little person running around that campus that's had the training. What do you, what are you supposed to do now? And in Los Angeles, only 307 of the 900 campuses have received training on how to implement this new mandated programs. Last year, the district budgeted funds for five restorative justice counselors for the entire district, five. How is this even enough to support the 500,000 students in the district? So this year they decided to add 20 more and it cost 7.2 million. This only covers less than a third of LA schools. Do you know how expensive it's going to be to put in the correct number of people who know how to do this? It's, it's extraordinarily expensive. And are people going to be up for that? The taxpayer is going to be happy with that's the way their tax dollars are being spent. And even if you add 25 more people, that's not enough to support the number of students who need help in LA. Look, I get it. We all want what's best for students. And for Sure, there are very silly, frivolous things that students are disciplined for, and there are plenty of teachers out there who are lousy at class management and need help. I get it. I understand it. But if we really want to change how we do things, then we have to go slow to go fast, to kind of cite a cliche, but it's true. Require training and then pay the teachers to attend. That's what you're going to do. If you have to require it, you need to pay the teachers. And if they refuse, I don't know, move them to another school where they're not doing restorative justice practices yet, or pay those who do go through the training more. I know bribery is a thing because teachers have so much stuff on their plate. You know, you can't change the entire system overnight. I don't care when a law becomes in, you know, when a law or when a policy comes into effect, if you don't get buy-in, it will never work because this type of discipline, it needs a shared 
vision and consistency across the campus. And you've got to get buy-in and support from your parents too. You know, teachers have so much on their plates already. You can't keep putting more straws on the already stressed out camel's back. You have to allow schools to do what works best for them until the proper training can be completed and rolled out correctly. I mean, come on, poor LAUSD teachers. I feel your pain on this one. In our next story, we talk about what a superintendent told United States senators about student mental health. Nothing we didn't know already. Superintendent Joshua Garcia from the Tacoma District in Washington State testified before the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, which spells H-E-L-P. Clever, huh? On June 8th, 2023, he talked about students' worsening mental health. Garcia was one of several authorities who spoke to the committee. Another one was the United States Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, who has, and you probably already heard this, declared that the worsening mental health of the nation's youth is the defining public health issue of our time. Doesn't seem like news to me. Garcia highlighted his district's Tacoma Whole Child Initiative. He shared how his district now has found a way to sustainably work with students to continuously support their well-being instead of waiting for a crisis to happen and then treating that one incident at a time kind of situation. The severity of the situation, you know, mental health state of our teens can be seen in a report from 2021 from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's report called, ready, Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System Survey. Say that five times fast. The report noted that two in five high school students, including 60% of girls, And 70% of LGBTQ plus students, no surprise there, reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless. And in one in five students actually had made a suicide plan. This is not a joke, folks, but it's also nothing that we hadn't known. They put the blame, of course, and rightly so, in my opinion, on social media, which we know for a fact has been linked to loneliness, isolation, and the lack of community engagement. So layer on top of that, the trauma that many students are dealing with regarding family and other types of situations that have happened to them personally, um, their living situations, not to mention like the trauma of world challenges such as climate change and gun violence and racism and political polarization and economic instability, blah, blah, blah. Oh my God, it's overwhelming even just to say those things. It's hard to imagine growing up in a world where those things are in your face all the time. These things are considered significant drivers of the youth mental crisis problem. It makes me think about, you know, how different the world was when I was growing up. Thank goodness cell phones were not a part of my life. You know, the worst thing that we did was, was wake out about, you know, was there something on the answering machine going to be there when we got home? Did they did they call us? Is there some message there that we didn't want our parents to hear before we got to it? You know, and my kids, they started the cell phone thing started like right at the when they were just entering their later teens. So they didn't really deal with cell phones either. Thank goodness. I just I can't even imagine being a parent right now. 
I, you know, I really do believe that cell phones and that all the things that come with them are the major cause of all of this mental health nonsense. And and to this point, Surgeon General Murthy, he urged the senators to expand access to high quality, affordable, remember that money thing I was talking about in our last story, Um, affordable and culturally competent mental health care for children. And also to tackle the cases of most mental health problems, such as social media and trauma caused by, for example, gun violence. It was suggested um, in these meetings that schools could decrease the ratio of students to school psychologists and mental health workers by using those federal funds that were made available during COVID-19 pandemic. But as you know, my opinion on this, what are you going to do with this special money when they no longer have this special money to give out, you know, grants that they people are writing? How are you going to continue to support these expensive propositions? When money dries up, then are those mental health providers going to disappear too? Then we're in the back in square one again. The education department, they said that the first round of bipartisan Safer Communities Act grants dedicated to growing the school-based mental health workforce is going to add about 14,000 school psychologists, counselors, and social workers. All right, 14,000 across the country. All right, that is still far, far from what is needed to meet um, the student mental health demands, experts say, you know. Now, it's nothing new that lawmakers have suggested that social media is dangerous and needs to have more restrictions imposed. They've been saying that for years. They would like to see, these are some of the suggestions, that those under 13 do not have access to that stuff at all. And that those who are ages 13 to 17 have to get parental permission before that happens. They want social media to stop using those algorithms that keep showing you, you know, things that get you addicted to it and target you with advertising. They don't want that to be anything that can be used until the users are 18. Now, (laughs) I have no ideas how you can put these restrictions in place in a way that's going to work. I'm telling you, kids are very savvy at getting around blocked apps. You know, right now, it's as easy as changing the year you were born on the signup page. So if you just say that you were born in 1970, you're going to have plenty of, you know, um, ability to show that you're old enough to enjoy looking at what's on the other side of that app. Now, sorry, let's get honest here, parents. I feel this is not a government thing. This is on you. No politician is going to say that, though, because it's not going to get them elected. But parents... You have control over what your kids are doing. You're paying for the cell phone. And as such, you can control how much time your kids spend on their phones, where they take them, how they use them, what they can download on them, you know? And if you're not sure how you can do that, I'm post a link to a consumer report article that helps explain what parents can do to have more control over what their kids have access to on their phones. You can see that on our website, transparencyandteaching.com. But the bottom line is, quit talking about, oh, I don't want my kids to think I don't trust them. No, 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 no. It is your job at this stage of the game to be nosy. 
do your job. Good thing I'm not running for office. Finally, our last story today talks about Stretch. That's the name for a new chatbot that's being designed just for schools. It's in development just for K-12 students and educators. And it's interesting because this chatbot is being created by the merger of two large societies. One is the International Society for Technology and Education, um, otherwise known as ITSE to many of us, and the ASCD, which is the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. So those two groups have gotten together and have decided that there needs to be an answer to chat GPT that is actually good for students. So these two groups have been working with Google and um, OpenAI. OpenAI is the team that developed chat GPT. Um, and they're creating a chat bot that will be informed by the same kind of, you know, large language models that chat GPT uses and persona bots use, the ones that you listen to, you know, when you call up a company and you're not sure if it's a real person or not. Um, and other intelligence tools use these things. But here's the difference. Instead of absorbing the information or getting information from the entire internet, which is what ChatGPT does, it uses everything, um, has access like to everything that's ever been posted on the internet to pull its information from. So Stretch is going to only be learning from materials that have been developed or vetted by ITSE and the ASCD. Eventually, they may expand the um, information access for the for stretch to information from other education and tech organizations that ITSE partners with. So these groups are hoping that by curating the information that stretch has access to, that it will avoid the problems with ChatGPT and other chatbots, which often include false or outdated information in their output. Now, I know this for a fact because I have used and continue to use chat GPT sometimes to help with writing my articles. Um, however, um, I always double check any statistics or references it gives because I have on multiple occasions found that they are untrue or they don't exist. Now, the way I use it basically is to help with getting some ideas started, sentence starters, wording, some of those kinds of things, but it's very undependable for research and fact finding. Um, it does, you know, as we know, pull from all the junk on the entire web and you know how much stuff out there is, you know, false facts and misinformation and disinformation. So those of you who are using chat GPT, especially you students, be super careful. So the hope is then that stretch will be a great uh, alternative to help students with their writing and their research. Now, the other thing that's different with stretch that chat GPT does not do is stretch will cite its sources. So it'll give you um, links to where it got its information from so that that's just another layer of accountability. You don't have to do like what I do now. I have to Google everything and search everything and try to find it on my own. This will actually show you the articles and the places where the information came from. Um, this is what the developers have said. And if, for example, you ask it um, 
you prompt it with something that is outside the layer of expertise that it has, then it will respond to you that, sorry, I don't know anything about that. Instead of making something up like what chat GPT does when it doesn't know something. Stretch is one of what they call a walled garden AI tool, which means that it's protected, right? It's only certain information gets in. So that means that it will be trained on a very limited, carefully curated pool of information that's geared towards a specific community in education related areas. Okay. That all sounds fabulous, doesn't it? Having someplace safe and reliable in order to get your information from, but especially I can't help, but just think this being the way things are right now, that here's a problem I can see coming with this. Since this information is going to be curated, I think it's just going to be a matter of time before someone starts complaining about the biased, I'm using air quotes here, materials that the indoctrinators and the groomers are picking and choosing for students to see. Am I wrong? Am I getting cynical? I don't know. How is it possible that I could ever be cynical? That's a rhetorical question. In any case, that wraps up another edition of Ed News this week. I hope you've learned something that will improve your teaching or your attitude or give you something to share over a cocktail. Leave us your ideas about these stories and what stories you want to know. Here's wishing you an awesome week. And until next time, may all your news be good news.